0: We are in the middle of unprecedented times. It's only natural that when everything becomes un- unstable that we seek solid ground. That's how it is in the, n- in the natural realm, of course, and that's how it also works in the supernatural realm. I do find it interesting that our homes have become the new safe haven. That would have been normative decades ago, but in our day, our connections have become long distance. The world is smaller than it's ever been, and as a result, our communication, which was limited to a simple locale, now has broadened. Our influencers may be people that we've never even met. Only interaction being the tap on a phone screen or a click with our mouse, yet in the past few months, we've had to face a new reality in this generation. A reality of being forced to face each other. Our families connected in a way that perhaps we have never been connected before. We were limited in our ability to be beyond the borders of our own homes. And so we were required to connect with each other. What what an awesome idea. Here we are. One more time, getting to know people that we've lived with for decades. One more time, uh, learning more about each other perhaps than we have ever before. We've dialogued more than we ever have before. And so it's in this slightly uh, uneasy situation that we find ourselves one more time connecting in a way that perhaps we never have. I'll remind us all again, God is not surprised by this situation He's not in a panic over the pandemic. He's superior to all the sickness. WHO isn't in control. Public health isn't calling the shots. God is maneuvering men in the way that he has planned it. It's all a part of his story. And his story is what becomes history. But it did come to my attention that it could be that God is reconnecting families for an end time purpose. You see, our families are an important building block, a construction element that God uses in His church. If we have strong families, then we have a strong church. And it doesn't take long for you to look through Scripture to find that that connection that God intended wasn't just Circumstantial, but it was commanded. It wasn't just optional, but rather it was God saying, Here's what you need to do. As a matter of fact, and when we read Deuteronomy 6 and 4, and we're to declare the oneness and the goodness and the knowledge of God to the next generation, it says, When we lie down, when we walk in the way, when we rise up, there is an element to every part of our day that the responsibility for us to communicate diligently to our family what we know is there. It was a responsibility that was given to Israel, and and we're reminded of it for dedications but it isn't just for when we have an infant in our arm it's because it was a responsibility that God gave it's part of his plan he doesn't intend for all the teaching to come from Google he doesn't intend for everything they learn to come from YouTube it's not Facebook uh, that, that that is the education facility it's it's not even the teachers in our rural schools or our, our City schools that, that are the ones to, to relay the facts. and it's, it's the, the most important knowledge is the knowledge of God that's communicated to the next generation. Proverbs 22 and verse 28 said, Remove not the ancient landmark which thy fathers have set. And we see in that scripture that there was a generational responsibility that was given. A generational responsibility. And, and it was likened to landmarks. Landmarks were often stones that were set up marking events, marking moments, marking locations. They they were stones that defined boundaries and reminded people of events that had occurred. It It was something substantial to a landmark, and a landmark was placed in a location or in a locale so that somebody would be reminded of an event. Somebody would be reminded of whose property this was. That landmark had an intention beyond. Landmarks were teaching tools so that one generation would ask the question to the previous generation now what is this stone here for Deuteronomy 27 and 23 just one example it was when the children of Israel passed over Jordan the, into the land that God had given them he told them he said you shall set up Great stones. He said, Plaster them with plaster, paint them white, and you will write upon them all the words of the law when thou art passed over, that thou mayest go into the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. It was a priority that God had set. He said, When you get into that promised land, set a stone up and write the commandments on it so the next generation will know this is a priority. This isn't optional. This isn't just exceptional. This is the norm. It's a landmark so that when you pass by and you're your children ask you'll be able to reiterate this is why this is this is what happened this is where we came over this is what we were but this is who we are now and that landmark was to represent all of that all of that defined by a simple stone with some words on it but we're reminded don't remove those landmarks We're in the midst of a youth convention. It's important. I'm grateful that we have that because it it tells everybody of the priority that we are placing on the next generation. It's reminding people of the responsibility that we have to teach and the responsibility that the next generation has to receive. It's it's about this connection in the gap uh, of generations that that we're linked together, that we aren't isolating ourselves. And and we're not just saying, well, those, those kids, man alive, I can't believe how they act or how they live or those kids aren't saying, well, they're so old and they're so fuddy-duddy and I I can't believe the way that they act. And we don't want to disconnect in our generations, but we need a connection like never before. In this end time, there needs to be a link so that the truth that is in one generation is transferred to the next generation. I've heard some people speak with disdain about the generation that follows us. Let me tell you, God knew exactly who was going to be living in this generation and he's designed the time and the season for them to rise up and become the men and women of God to take us into the greatest revival that we have ever had and I don't want to miss the opportunity to be a part of that I want to do my part I I once was young but now I'm old everybody can say that but I'm in the position now and I'm in the place where I'm that old guy I'm the guy with gray hair I'm the guy that so uh, they, they can't believe that I drove a motorbike one time, come on! I'm that old guy. Can't believe it myself. Don't even know how old I am. But here we are, we're talking about generations and now. I'm not the young person receiving truth. I'm part of that generation that's delivering truth. But I don't want to miss the responsibility that lies on my shoulders to do my part. To take this precious truth that we have as an apostolic generation and deliver it to this next generation who are going to grip it, who are going to hold it. They're going to say it's a landmark that we're receiving and we're marching. Come on, we're marching as the truth into this world that desperately needs what we've got. Don't. Remove the landmark. it was declaration over and over again in scripture. Thou shalt not remove thy neighbor's landmark, which they of old time have set up in thine inheritance there's this distinction between generations, that there was an old generation, but there was a young generation that would come and they would be mindful and respectful and receptive of what the previous generation had because it was theirs to inherit. It was theirs to possess. It was theirs to hold on to. It was theirs to lay claim to. It was theirs that they would own themselves. They may not always do it like we did it, but the truth on the inside They've got it. They've got it. I'm, I'm encouraging a group of young people today. If you define yourself as young, take a hold of the promise. Someone needs to be reminded I'm going to buy the truth and I'm not going to sell it. I'm going to come on, I'm going to hold on to the truth that's been given to me. I'm not going to let it go. I'm going <laughs> to. I'm excited about the future, but I'm concerned about the present at the same time. Because sometimes in the transition, things get lost. Sometimes in the transition, people get lost. And we didn't, we can't afford any loss from generation to generation. Why would a landmark not be removed psalm 78 verse 5 to 7 tells us it said for he established a testimony in jacob the previous generation and appointed a law in israel which he commanded our fathers that they should make them known to their children that the generation to come might know them even the children which should be born who should arise and declare them to their children and so we see this continuation from generation to generation to generation There's power in those landmarks. The scripture actually said that the reason, the reason that that generation would declare it to the next generation, verse seven, was that they might set their hope in God. Don't miss that. That they might set their hope in God and not forget works of God but keep his commandments and if you just look at that verse you'll find that it was an outward look that they would set their hope in God but it was also a backward look that they would not forget the works of God but keep his commandments and so every, every generation my generation has the responsibility to look to the generation that preceded me and say that's what I need. I need what they had. I need what Brother R.D. Foster had as he laid at the pulpit and laid on the altar at Bible College and I can still remember his prayers being prayed and weeping and crying that was happening at that altar and something happens in my spirit the moment that I begin to remember it. Why? Because he had something that I need. I remember Brother Ed Goddard. He's not gone. He's still with us but he's part of that previous generation who preached the word with truth and distinction. Preached it with passion power and authority preached revival. I remember Brother Buster preaching revival after revival and preaching about the power of prayer. And sometimes I just take a moment and I reach back and say, I need what they had. I need it. I've got to look back and remind myself, but I can't just always turned around. I've got to look to the next generation and I've got to say what's been delivered to me. I've got to deliver to you what's been given to me. I've got to give to you. Prayer needs to be a priority. Reaching the lost has got to be a priority. The word has got to be a priority. Church has got to be a priority. It may be hard today as you're sitting around your living room, but I'm encouraging somebody make it a priority today. It's a priority. Don't move the landmark that they might set their hope in God. This next generation, they they, they need what we've got if they're going to set their hope in God. There's power in those landmarks. There's power in those stones that we set up. There's power when we walk back by and say, this is why we do what we do. I know we're all, I'm in danger of taking too much time, but let me take a minute. We're all in danger of just becoming comfortable. With flipping church on and it only, we don't have any travel time. We don't have any prep time. It didn't take us any, any time to get our hair combed and our, our, our best suit on. We just kind of search capital community church. And we get church really easy and we're comfortable. And I'm not criticizing anybody. Thank you for joining us. But I hope there's something in your spirit that's a little bit stirred up because we haven't been able to meet in this building. And I hope there's something stirred up in your spirit because you long to be together with the people of God and worship God together. I am anxious for us to be back together in this building. I am not content with that level of complacency that can come. When we just make it convenient, sometimes it's got to become inconvenient for us to acknowledge what God is trying to do. It's that truth that's transferred from generation to generation that sets people free. It's that truth, come on, that, that declares that it opens prison doors and unlocks locks and lets people become who they are in God. It's truth. But that truth can't die with one generation. It's got to be transferred and passed on. Because if there's any, ever going to be liberation in the future, then the truth has got to be transferred from generation to generation. And I'm concerned today because 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 10 speaks about our end time. And it said that people would perish. Why? Because they received not the love of the truth that they might be saved. For this truth to become salvation, it must be delivered. You can't give what you don't have. It says that they received not the love of the truth. There's two elements that are at work in that that scripture. There's two elements that we can see. We we don't know. I'm not sure. Maybe they're both at work. but, But one is that either somebody didn't deliver the truth... Or that somebody didn't receive the truth. Now scripture says they received not. It didn't say that they delivered not. But nobody can receive something you don't deliver. Diplomats not going to show up for lunch if you didn't pick the phone up and give them a call. It can't be delivered unless it's, uh, uh, you know, it can't be received unless it's delivered. And, and, and so I think we need to be careful. This responsibility rests on every generation today. One, we've got to be willing to deliver it. We've got to hold on to it. We can't remove the landmark that was delivered to us. But in order for us to, to deliver it, there has to be somebody willing to receive it. So generations, generation We've got a number of generations at work right now. Builders, boomers, Xers, millennials, next gens, whatever they are. I just don't know. I don't know what the next generation is. I'm not making fun. I'm just saying. But somebody has to be willing to carry truth from generation to generation. Apostolic doctrine must be preserved for future generations. It has to become a part of what you study. I, I've often looked at Pastor Woodward's Bible. He has a Bible in his office that he had in high school. And sometimes when I look at that Bible, I think that's a tremendous amount of study for a high school student to undertake. It's marked up. It's Of course, he, he keeps everything in pristine condition, but even him with his all of his items in pristine shape. It's got a little tattered and torn on the corners because of the use that it's had over the years. And and sometimes I look at that Bible, I pick it up and I'll leaf through it and I'll see truth that he's written down and things that he's underlined and all in his neat handwriting. Makes me sick. I've got one in my office. I was going to bring it out today and I honestly was too embarrassed. I didn't get the genuine leather. I got the bonded leather and the bonded leather cover's 73% gone. But it's the Bible I've had since I was in Bible school. And sometimes I pick it out and I go back through and, and I've got notes underlined in that Bible. And I've got sermons written in the, in the margin. And I've got things written down that were personal to me. And I'm grateful for everything that I've received. But if it dies with this generation, there has to be a delivery And there has to be a receiver of the word. So on this weekend that we have set aside to speak to our next generation, I want to challenge you today to love the word and to love truth and hold on to it with everything that you have. I was reminded of a book that I had read people that have preached a few years ago was something that impacted me personally when I was a young person. The Dan Butler wrote a book, The Last Generation of Truth. He speaks about the sectarian cycle and he speaks about first generation believers of a religious movement, how they receive an understanding of truth that prompts one, a genuine, unrestricted dedication to God. This is the first generation, a first generation group of believers. They place a priority on the things of God. They have a God centered piety. They have a continual desire for personal spiritual growth. They have a lifestyle in which working for the cause of God is more important than anything else. That's a first-generation group of believers, and they have that responsibility to take that passion and that possession and move it to the next generation. But the challenge that he authors in his book is that over and over again through the history of Israel, you'll see that kings would have a revival, and they would have a move of God, and they would act like that first-generation group of believers Genuine dedication, priority, continual desire for God, lifestyle that's working for the cause of God. And 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 it's just that, that defines them. It's who they are. But as that truth is transferred from generation to generation, there is a lapse and there is a loss. And that next generation, when they get it, sometimes what originally was an apostolic on fire revival becomes just a little bit complacent. It becomes mediocrity. It becomes something that it's, let's just simplify it. Let's make it a little bit easier. Let's, let's just kind of take a look. Let's, let's take the meat and we'll throw away the bones because it's inconvenient or because we don't completely understand it or because, you know, it it just, I I don't think it's necessary for my generation, but what that generation didn't understand is, is, is what they thought was just trimming off some of the excess and removing the things that were unnecessary. And, and maybe because they genuinely don't feel necessary but it becomes something that's lost and by the time it transfers from that second generation to the third generation there is a serious loss of commitment it says that he, he defined it this way he said their greater dedication becomes to themselves rather than God they develop a spirit of complacency They compromise certain standards and they develop a code of conduct characterized by self-justification. Excuses for diminished aspects of commitment and ultimately abandoning truth for something that feels better to their flesh. The doctrine... The foundation of our grandparents' spiritual lives and their natural lives as a direct result, what they built their lives and their futures upon by the time we get to a third generation, if it's not held tightly, is lost. It's a scary thought to consider when apostolic truth is the foundation for everything that's essential and eternal to us today. It's important that we take notice of the shift that occurs between the first and the last generation of believers because if we're going to combat it, we've got to understand what it is. And so sometimes we need to assess our activity. We need to assess our apostolic lifestyle. We need to assess where we are in God. And I'm just, maybe it's on my mind and it's in my spirit because in the middle of a season like this where we don't have mutual accountability and we can't get together like we wish that we could, Sometimes people just get caught slipping. And that slide turns into a full on back state and so I'm concerned I'm reminding somebody that's why it's important that this becomes a priority this time that we have together this season every week that we that we gather together and hear the word of God has got to be a priority for us the same way that it is for us to come to this building gather together in your living room remind your family remind your children this is an apostolic priority. And sometime you're going to have to walk without the help of somebody else. So get ready for it. Let's work together and become the people that God has called us to be. We need to be careful to be, keep God at the forefront of everything that we do. To hold apostolic truth above all else and to seek if we're not a first generation. I love, you know, the first generation Pentecostals that we get, those new believers, those brand new, they haven't been dyed in the wall, they're brand new believers. They show up and they, 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 they shouldn't stick out, but they stick out. Our, our, our desire and our design shouldn't be that they become more like us. But rather, that's a good reminder that if we're going to hold on to what we need to hold on to, that fervency and that fervor has got to become something that we need. We need to become more like them than they need to become like us. This requires second and third generation apostolic Pentecostals to press into spiritual dimensions in prayer, to press into fasting, to relinquish personal agendas and plans and desires and ambitions and allow God's will to reign over our own in order for us to grab hold and maintain a first generation mindset and lifestyle for ourselves. You say, Pastor Jack, you're you're preaching awful hard. I think I'll just turn you down. But I worry because as I see that context, it concerned me when I heard it 25 years ago. It concerned me when I heard about those three generations. And it concerns me even more now. And I'll tell you why. Let me, let me just speak to our generation for a moment and the generation following. It, it seems like complete Greek to you today about this idea about this interconnected church because this generation is better connected to their peers than they are their parents or their pastors. They're less apt to prepare because, prepare for life or prepare for the future because the access to information allows them to immediately answer many questions that could arise. That's this generation. They just flip their phone open and figure out what needs to happen. And that's great when it's plumbing. And that's wonderful when it's, you know, when it's A mechanical challenge with your car. I heard heard about a friend friend of mine, his son, changed the motor in his car with YouTube. And I applaud that. I think that's wonderful. But I think it's dangerous when we begin to look to those places to become our spiritual authority and our spiritual input. Because you can get Heinz 57, and it may not be the truth that is needing to be passed from one, one generation to the next generation. It's just an example. It's a normative trend for them. I, you know, it's, it's unusual in that next generation. I talked to my dad at least twice this week, and I fielded Victor Lehman with at least two questions about how to proceed with plans of actions and projects that I was working on. I didn't go to YouTube. I called old Vic, called dad. Dad, how, do you, how did you do this, or how did you do that, and tell me a little bit about this, and You see, my generation, there was an amount of information that flowed back and forth from one generation to the next. It was a dialogue. It was a connection. Let Let me state it this way. I needed him. And part of the danger now is that we've got many people that want to speak into our lives and the church structure is fractured and we need, come on, we need to rebuild some things in order. There needs to be a flow of apostolic authority. I, I, I'm so grateful for Pastor Wilbert. I'm grateful that he has a pastor. I'm grateful for Pastor Mangan. I, I'm grateful for the flow of anointing that comes and I'm grateful for the flow of authority that's there. And, and, and I don't want to step out of line. I don't want to step out from underneath that covering. And it has to be intentional for us to connect one generation to the next you know in the natural this generation they they just look up how to do it but in that previous generation it was now you take this hatchet and split the kindling and when you get the hang of that take this axe and split the, this cord of wood and when you get the hang of that take that wood splitter and then you're going to split the rest of the winter wood and when you get the hang of that then maybe we'll move on to the chainsaw and you can start cutting the trees down That just sounds like a whole bunch of work, but really it was a responsibility that was transferred from one generation to the next. And, And knowledge and information is so excessive and so, what's the word I'm looking for? So right in your hand that people become less required, but that can't happen in the supernatural. We can have information without experience and that becomes nothing less than dangerous. God prepared and planned and ordained it this way for a reason. Proverbs 24, verse three to four, by wisdom a house is built and through understanding it's established. Through knowledge, its rooms are filled with rare and beautiful treasures. There are three elements of cognitive activity that are happening in those verses, wisdom, knowledge and understanding. And so sometimes on a number of levels, this generation is upside down. It circumvents logic and reason. It creates a natural challenge to authority because we really don't need you. The caution is there in the history of scripture and the concern is legitimate because we can become the generation that moves into apostasy if we don't have a strong hand leading in our lives. The probability is overwhelming. We can come back to the music this morning. Even as preachers, we can spout information. We have Bible programs and online resources. We don't have to wrestle Strong's concordances in Hebrew and Greek dictionaries. We don't have to have mountains and books and libraries lining walls. Our communication can become convenient. We can click a word and find the meeting and cross-reference and build sermons, but sermons won't do the work. We have to have a word from God. And our concern today is what happened before can happen again. As a matter of fact, we all know that history tends to repeat itself. But here's what I do know. Is that God planned it all in this season I am concerned I'm concerned because it happened before Jeremiah said that the prophets declared thus saith the Lord stand ye in the ways and see and ask for the old paths wherein is the good way and walk therein and ye shall find rest for your souls but they said we will not walk Therein. No thanks. Verse 17 goes on. It says, and I set watchmen over you saying, hearken to the sound of the trumpet. But they said, nah, we will not hearken. And so the danger is there. It's written in scripture. However, that isn't the end of the story because we know that there will be an end time revival so somebody is going to listen and somebody is going to receive and somebody even as we're preaching this morning your heart is opened up and you're saying just pour in let the Word of God direct me let the Word of God order my steps let the Word of God prepare the path before me come on someone right now is saying God do that work in my life and we have the option you see those stones that were landmarks we have the option we have the option for the stone to become the stone that the builders rejected scripture speaks to us about that or it can be a stone that we set up. You see in Genesis 28, it was Abraham, Isaac. Scripture should have read, could have read Abraham, Isaac, and Esau, but let me, let me remind us all about Esau for a moment this morning. Esau had a fleshly desire. Esau didn't have a love for the birthright, what was going to be transferred from one generation to the next. He disregarded it, and God said, Esau, have I hated. Why? Because there was a dismissive attitude about what was transferring from one generation to the next, and we all got to shake our heads and we've all got to shake ourselves sometimes to say "Uh uh-uh I can't do without what that generation wants to give to me if I'm going to let this next generation receive it I've got to be willing to transfer it and so when Jacob we see the heart of Jacob because he desired the birthright we see the heart of Jacob because he desired the blessing he was willing to kind of connive his way into receiving it he was willing to kind of work his way in to get it he he did some things that people wouldn't approve but but there was a hunger and a desire there that he didn't want to live without what was being transferred from one generation to the next so I believe that there's there's a Jacob somewhere that's saying give me what you've got give me what you've got give me what you've got today I want it, I need it I can't live without it and so because of Jacob's heart and because of Jacob's hunger scripture doesn't read Abraham, Isaac and Esau scripture reads Abraham, Isaac and Jacob because he was willing to do whatever it took to get a hold of the birthright what was being transferred from one generation to the next generation and I'm encouraging, I'm admonishing I come on I'm absolutely begging this next generation will you take hold of apostolic truth and have apostolic authority and take it into your generation don't dismiss it but hold on to it own it receive it today receive what God is wanting to deliver it was Jacob he he had the option it was his pillow it was that it it was that ladder that he saw with angels ascending and descending and when he woke from his sleep he said ha this is nothing less than the house of God he had to be willing but he had to be willing to take the pillow of ease and set it up for a pillar of consecration he had to be willing to get away from slumber and move to a place of sacrifice he had to be willing to get up from that place of complacency and move into a place of dedication that he had never had before but he he I said I'm going to take this pillow and I'm going to turn it into a pillar and that pillar is going to become an altar. That pillar is going to become a place of sacrifice. That pillar is going to become a place of dedication and I'm going to come back here from time to time and I'm going to remind myself of this landmark. I want stones to be set up in somebody's life today that become pillars of sacrifice and pillars of dedication and landmarks that we revisit in the future and say, ah! remember I remember we were in COVID-19 I was just watching a simple message by a simple preacher online but an awesome apostolic God got a hold of me and turned my life around I need that at work in my life I want that memory today and the stone set at naught Acts 4 verse 11 of builders The stone set at naught of those full of knowledge and understanding The stone set at naught. Come on, this truth that we have, it may be set at naught. You may not see it in the people you follow on Instagram. You may not see it on someone you're tracking on YouTube. But let me tell you, the stone that's been set at naught by them, you better find somebody that's got a hold of that stone, and it's a part of the cornerstone of their life. It's a part of the cornerstone of their experience. It's a part of the cornerstone of their daily activity. It's just a cornerstone because the Bible says that that stone that's set at naught by the builder, That stone stone that's been set at naught by society. The stone that's been set at naught by people around you. That's not who you look to for your input because that stone is going to become the head, the chief corner stone. That's what that stone needs to become in your life today. And that can only happen if you're willing to receive this apostolic truth. I'm not being exclusive. I'm not being isolationist today that's to the whosoever will if you just logged on and you don't have a sweet clue what I'm talking about and it sounds like jargon it sounds like gibberish it sounds like an unknown to you I'm encouraging you to reach out we'll 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 follow up on the feedback that we get we'll communicate with you we'll get in touch with you if you want to drop us an email if you want to give us a call I'm encouraging you that there is truth available to set you free today And be part of that group of people that are Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and not Abraham, Isaac, and Esau. The wrestling match is real. But so is the blessing. And so is the birthright. So the question is, will you be Esau or will you be Jacob? Will you set the stone at naught if it's no good, if it doesn't fit our generation, doesn't fit our culture, doesn't fit our style? Or will you let it become the chief cornerstone of your life? Take that stone rejected by brothers around you. Esau didn't receive it. The stone that was your pillow. The place of complacency that you were in. Take a moment. slip out of the comfort zone into the committed zone Esau's going to sit at the table and feed his flesh but Jacob's somewhere seeking the heart and the mind of God I feel a challenge in the Holy Ghost right now I don't know how many we've got with us but let's pray together Father, right now God, would you move? God, I ask that you would stop every distraction in its tracks. God, that you would grab the attention of individuals and church members and people in every generation. God, I ask that you would allow us. Let the word be the spotlight. We can't hide from it, God. It's going to show us openly. The devil's going to get us to dismiss all the things you show us. But God, I ask that you just let that word shine bright in our life. What's out of order? God, what needs cleaned out? What needs cleaned up? Bring it to our remembrance. Bring it to our mind right now. And I pray that living rooms will become places of consecration. I ask that houses will become your house for the next moment. God, we invite you to move because we need, we cannot afford God, we can't afford to lose what we have been given. Jesus, in your name we pray. We're gonna sing a chorus together. Why don't you just let this be a personal season of prayer right now, wherever we are? Down in my soul.